Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHS 1220. In 98.1 FM. Well, it's a crazy world out there today as uh, everybody is woken up to the news about uh, the big bear rusher attacking Ukraine. But that's for a different day, a different show. You listen to the Ask Brian radio show. And what is that all about? Well, Ask Brian is a business show where we try to help business owners learn business things each week. And everybody asks us, why do you spell Brian with an E? And every week we go over why. And today we have our co-host, Tracy, who's going to explain to the audience why we have an E and and what those E's are. So why do we have the E? Do you know? I do know. And, and I always really love to start with our first, most important, most lovely E that we have, which is our engineer, Emily. And so... It just would not be nearly as wonderful of an experience to do this show if our engineer, Emily, wasn't exceptional at what she does. Oh, thank you. That's our first date. Oh, she's (laughs) blue! That's so amazing! She She reminds me of the Indian kid in Big Bang Theory who couldn't talk to women. I am so excited with a capital E that Emily actually spoke on our show! Yay! It's the beginning one- of a lot of good things, Emily. The beginning of a lot of good things. It's a one-time occurrence. Okay. It's a one-time occurrence. No, don't shut her down. Don't <laughs> shut her down. She's she's our engineer. She's Emily. She's great. We have two okay, engineers so, by the way today. Okay, now you just have to complicate things. Why do you always have to complicate things? We do. Okay. Call so us. Say hello. <laughs> huh? Call us. Say hello. How are you doing? See. We have two engineers. <laughs> it takes two people. Okay. It takes two people to run this, not one. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and that's probably because of the host, not the co-host. No, it's because they have to keep on turning the volume off every time I talk. Go ahead. Yeah, that's what I said. Because of the host, not the co-host. Okay, and because we have amazing experts on our show that are very um, helpful in educating entrepreneurs in a way that is, um, okay, I already said exciting, which uh, is uh, very much creates an element of, say it with me, enthusiasm. <laughs> That's another E we just added. And, and, and then, go ahead. Yeah? No, you go, because I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, so you, you go ahead and say it. Grease lightning. Electrifying! Woo! Yes, we are electrifying. <laughs> Emily's eyes are like, oh my god, oh my god, OMG. Anyway. <laughs> and then we have a lot of empathy for Who? Emily. No, <laughs> obviously <laughs> not, because we're screaming our phones <laughs> off, but okay. <laughs> we, we actually have a lot of empathy for our fabulous guests that we have yet to introduce, because they probably already left the building. Oh, I'm and they sure they're, they're gone. They're gone. It'll be a show just with us today. He's like going, what did they I get probably, myself into? I'm calling Brian right in when I get up the phone. Okay. Yeah, they probably exited. <laughs> you exited stage left with a capital E. 
So without further ado, and and why do you like the word um, ado? Because of all the vowels, A-D-I-E-U. And only one consonant, Carl. Sorry, only one consonant, Carl. Carl? <laughs> Who's <vowel>? Carl? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. Jerry will be here, in here any second now telling me something. Okay, so without any further, and by the way, you did talk about that we try to educate people every week. I most certainly did say educate, but I did not say enlighten. So we can educate, enlighten, and engage people for their entrepreneurial journey. And if I was a DJ, I'd be putting on an ELO song right now, Electric Light Hawk. All right, so. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Finally found my match. Okay, so, Dan, are you still around? I am, yes. You survived. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. <laughs> Thank you for still being around. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't hear the toilet flush. Okay, so, Dan, a couple questions for you. And by the way, before we get into your company, and we do that's what we really want to educate the audience about, can you tell people a little bit about your background prior to starting this company, and then we'll get the rest of the show will be about your company. Yeah, so my background is uh, classically trained virologist, immunologist, um, and then moved into the uh, drug development sector about 17, 18 years ago, worked for a company for 16 years, and then after that went into uh, working with uh, my co-founders in developing our company, Biotestera. So just go a little bit about what that drug immunology stuff is. Uh, You know, not everybody understands that, so... You're not a pharmacist, uh, and you're not selling cannabis, so what, what exactly what are, you are you doing? Well, so the immunology sector, you know, we think about only pretty much vaccines, but there are a lot of different other ways of utilizing the immune system to keep our health. The immune system is actually involved in just about every facet of our, our body, even uh, growth and maintenance of muscle. The immune system maintains and uh, regulates that process, and when there's dysregulation in the immune system, we get sick. And probably one of the most important one that we all know about is that when our immune system is unable to keep in check unregulated growth of cells, which we call cancer. So reestablishing that immune component has been a very important thing for now, the control and even cure of some cancers. And bringing that type of approach into the animal sector to treat our animals that might get cancer is a new paradigm, and we're the ones that are pushing it. You're pushing the drugs, not the cancer. Okay, so, (laughs) question for you. So, basically, for the 16 years, were you a researcher? Were you trying to create formulas to come up with these type of things, or what was your role at that company before you started this new one? So the company that I worked for was a very focused company on rare genetic diseases. The main disease that we focused in on was muscular dystrophy. And like I said, the immune system is very important in regulating how muscle is broken down and built up. And there's a lot of different components to that. But the small company actually had a platform technology that they're utilizing quite successfully in the clinic for um, helping young boys who would develop muscular dystrophy help stave off the destruction of that disease. And that was our primary focus, but we worked on rare genetic diseases where there were known genetic defects that we could correct through the technology that we had. And the name, name of the company is Biotessera? Is that correct? 
Correct. The, now, the, yeah, the animal company that, that we have formed um, and my co-founders is called Biotessera. The company that I worked for before was called Therapeutics. Therapeutics. They're in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, Biotessera, you said you founded it. How many people, people were founders? founders? So there's uh, three others besides myself. There's another immunologist who is actually um, trained in cancer immunology and then two clinical veterinarians one that is an oncologist at uh, Texas A&M, and then the other who happens to be a leading authority in camelid biology. In fact, he wrote the book, and that's not just, uh, you know, a, a euphemism. He actually did the write the book on camelid health, and that comes into our technology because we utilize a particular type of immune response that camelids have, and so camelids are alpacas, llamas, giraffes and camels, and they produce a specific type of antibody that is very useful in drug development. And so how did all four of you get together? Did you know each other previously at the job you were working at, or are you just friends, or how did this come about? Well, we all came together uh, while I was still working at the other company because we had given a task to utilize our technology to approach the potential of cancer therapeutics, and the veterinarian college being close by was an easy type of collaboration to form um, because of also their interest in looking at other technologies for adapting to treatments of cancer in in the uh, veterinarian clinic. And what is your role now at uh, Biotessera? Are you still on that research part of the team, or are you marketing sales? Or because sure. obviously you got to uh, have different uh, functions. functions. Well, yeah, we all put it on different hats because we are a small business. And there is just the four of us, although we have very uh, firm strategic alliances and partnerships with both manufacturing, regulatory, and as well as the, the generating of, of new science. Because we're not just making one drug, we're making lots of drugs with our platform technology moving forward. So mine was originally, I was the, uh, the key molecular biologist that helped us develop our first therapeutic and utilizing the... Uh, genetic information from some alpacas that we had on staff there at Oregon State University, derived blood from them, and then utilized that blood to, de to design our first uh, therapeutic that is canine-specific. When did you start the company? Um, let's see. We formed the company in 2017. And have you have gotten you any drugs? Well, first of all, who is the approval for these drugs. drugs. I, mean, I mean, obviously the FDA is for humans. Is that the same or is it a different, different entity? entity? That's right. Well, so for animals as well, the FDA has the regulatory component um, and they regulate the, what we consider traditional drugs, small molecules. But the USDA, and this was by um, edict of old law, they regulate antibodies and biologics. So our pathway is actually through the USDA instead of the FDA. You know, we, I think we all understand that, you know, when drugs go through the approval of the FDA process, it's, at least from the human standpoint, what I've learned over the 16 years that I worked in human drug development, it's a very onerous and expensive process. However, we have the advantage of going through the USDA, although they do have a regulatory hurdle that you have to get through, it's less time-consuming and less onerous because they really do partake in helping you to develop your drug to get it to the clinic as opposed to just being an imposition. Well, so in, in typical FDA stuff that I'm aware of, you have to go through a whole bunch of clinical trials 
here and a few of them, and then afterwards, at some point in time, with the statistics, you can get the approval of the FDA. Does it work the same way at the USDA for a veterinarian? Um, it's a little similar, but so that they have much more precise definitions um, at the FDA for what they consider an approval, where at the USDA you get a license or licensure to take your, your drug to market. So really in, in the space that we're working in in cancer, you have to show safety and you have to show that there is at least a from mechanistic data that there's an expectation that there is going to be efficacy and you can get a conditional approval and start selling your product. So your ability to get to market um, is expedited considerably, but they don't, there's no shortcut taken through the USDA. You still have to show proof that your, your product, your drug is, is safe, of course, and that it has an expected efficacy at the end. But, in cancer trials, it takes a long time to get an approval in the human clinic, or at least it used to, because you had to actually show survival. The pathway for these types of drugs, which are immunotherapeutics, you really just have to show an endpoint that the immune system is being affected in a positive way. So that's helped expedite drugs through the FDA pathway and made available a lot of these types of immune therapeutics in the clinic so that the doctors have a, a wide variety of choices to treat their patients with great success now. So do you have any products that are uh, have been approved through the USDA or received the license or, or that are going to be? So again, they don't use the, uh, the term approval. They, ter they use the term licensure, so you're licensed to go out and sell. We don't have one that is licensed yet. We're moving in that direction. So there's sort of a parallel pathway with the development of um, drugs for animals is that you have to show that your manufacturing process is feasible, reproducible, before you can actually start a clinical trial. So the, the idea of getting data before you can actually start to manufacture is difficult to do because for the licensure, you have to show your, your process for manufacturing it is is repeatable, and you get the same product out each time. So once you do that, you go right to your clinical trial, and that's the pathway that we're on right now. Well, it sounds uh, similar to drugs in the sense that it's a very expensive process. You need a lot of money, I would think, and I'm guessing, a lot of money to go out there and do all this work before you even get a drug that you can actually sell. So I, I think, think you need, you need to, get to get funding fun before you can actually get to, get that, to that next stage. stage. Is that Is right? That right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we're learning from the business side, from accelerators, uh, the dojo specifically of how to go out and talk to investors and um, find those early investors, angels and seed funds. Um, as well, we've gone the grant route, non-deliberative funding, written grants for this and, and received some money for that. So we're moving things along. But of course, we want to make the uh, jump a lot faster so that we can get to the market and actually make these types of drugs available for the treatment of dogs and cancer. Uh, without going into any confidential information, about how long do you think it's going to take you approximately to get your first drug commercialized and able to be sold? Well, our hopes are, since we've really built the system, if you will, so we have a manufacturing partner, and that, that will go a long ways for us because we already have the if you will, the discovery part done, we have a lead candidate that we're ready to take into the clinic. So once we can get that manufactured and then get 
that registered with the USDA and initiate some trials where we show safety, then we can go right to market after that and sell it. Of course, it will be initially sold in specialized clinics, research clinics um, around the United States that will specifically treat cancers. And once there's an adopted uh, level of acceptance for that, then we can sell it into the greater market. So what challenges did you encounter, especially with the funding and finding a partner? Was it easy to find a partner? Because I would think that would be very difficult to find a Well, so we've been lucky along the way. We found a partner in uh, Cambridge that actually is aligned with us in both this platform approach and moving these things into the clinic much quicker. Now, they've been uh, given large amounts of money to develop their manufacturing process to essentially scale it down and put it into a small almost like the size of a semi-container so that they can sell to the third world and uh, essentially, at cheaper cost, develop therapeutics and make and manufacture them in these these countries that just don't have the ability to put up gigantic pharmaceutical plants. This works perfectly for us because you know the scale that we have to make for animals is much less because there's of course animals are smaller and there's fewer than there are humans that uh, that need the therapies. But since we have an alignment, both the development of veterinarian and low-cost drugs for the third world, they jumped right in with us. So that's a big advantage for us to move this forward. So how, how did you find this company? Well, we originally had decided to use a specialized type of format for manufacturing our biologic, and we chose to do that in the yeast system. This is a newly emerging type of uh, manufacturing system for biologic drugs in the human clinic. It's just getting adopted. But professor at MIT, he had a student who wrote their, her thesis on contrasting the, the yeast system versus the current system, which is in a, a, a cell called a Cho cell that all of the uh, manufacturers, the big pharma, utilizes to make their um, drugs. And uh, when we read her thesis, we realized, hey, he's on the same page as we are. We want to make these things a lot cheaper and uh, not have to go through all of this difficult regulatory process that's involved in making things in cell lines and doing it in yeast is liking making beer so it's fairly simple and straightforward and you can make a product at a lot lower price point which is you know necessary for the veterinarian market so we're going to let tracy ask a few questions are you there yes so um dan i would like to um understand it feels like uh from some of the things that you're saying, that you're really quite a disruptor in this space. So tell me exactly what that means in terms of how you're disrupting the space, and then are you going to be able to get the word out through marketing initiatives or education? Tell us more about this whole disruption aspect of what you're doing. Yeah, so if you take uh, the standard model now for drug development in, in companion animals, it's basically over the past numerous decades is there are usually spin-outs of large human pharma, right? you got your Zoetis or Elon, great companies, but really the way that they adopt new technology is they take human drugs that are basically either run out of patent or they're no longer used because there's things that have surpassed those, and they try to put those into the clinic to see if they'll work. Some do some not so well. So 
the way we're disrupting things is coming at, from a different approach. And we're building from the ground up, utilizing some new technologies and making drugs specific for the species that we're trying to treat. And in our, our case, our initial product is for canine cancer. So we are utilizing what has been a success as far as a targeting approach in human clinics. We always like to use the example of Jimmy Carter, who back in August of 2015 was diagnosed with uh, melanoma that had spread to his liver and brain. And he got treated with a drug that's called an immune checkpoint therapy called Keytruda. And within about three months, he was tumor-free. And wow. this is a, yes, yes, he's uh, still alive, one of our oldest living presidents right now, but totally tumor-free of, of the metastases that he had in his brain. So a, a great success story, but this is a success story that goes on every day in the cancer clinic now because of these powerful drugs. To take that human drug and put it in a dog, won't work. It has to be adapted specifically for the dog. And that's the disruption that we're doing. It's not taking drugs out of the human clinic, but making drugs specifically for the animals that we're trying to treat. But in doing that, is the drug still, does this drug still have to be administered through veterinary, veterinary clinics, or are you taking it a step further and having it be maybe more accessible for the pet owner to be able to treat the dog versus having to go through the course of treatment through a veterinary clinic. Yeah, so when you think about the traditional um, treatments for cancer for dogs, it's usually, you know, it goes through expensive treatments of chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. Of course, those are types of things that can't be done by the, the owner at home or even at your, your basic vet who you know, might be at a PetSmart or something like that. But these new types of, of treatments are fairly simple. They're given as injections. Now, uh, early on, they'll have to be distributed through cancer oncology clinics for pets. But once it's fully adopted by the USDA and licensed, it could be spread out to other veterinarians at, at any point that you would go to. They would um, see that you've been your, your animal's been diagnosed with cancer, and they can initiate that treatment, and it's very simply an injection. So at some point, when the drug becomes fully licensed, owners could give the treatment at home, and when they choose to stop giving the treatment is when they choose to do it. So they make the decision um, as well as the administration, and it cuts down a lot of the stress that's associated with having to take your animal to the clinic all the time for treatment as well as the stress for the animal being transported and having to go through these painful types of procedures, um, it just it puts it more in the hands of the family that loves the pet. So what are the percentages of canines that actually get cancer, and does this drug, is this drug treat a specific type of canine cancer, or uh, how does it work in regards to that? Well, if you think about, you know, uh, dogs are getting older, <laughs> because of just, you know, we, we have uh, more dogs and we, we have, you know, better nutritional and better health treatment for them. So they do age um, and a large percentage of them do end up developing cancer. The numbers, I think, I don't have them right off my hand here, but there's about 6 million new cases each year. So a lot of them do develop cancer. The one that we're making right now approaches um, a, a handful of, of cancers. But we have four follow-on drugs that we're already making, at least in the discovery phase, 
that will, in combination, and this is what's being learned in the human clinic, that these combinations become even more powerful at how well they treat certain cancers and what breadth of cancers they can treat. So we're looking at adopting that same type of approach and making specific canine immunotherapies that emulate those that are being made in the human clinic so that those pairings of drugs would be able to approach pretty much most all of the cancers that are seen in the clinic for dogs. That's just so amazing. I mean, believe me, I know there's some people who treat their dogs better than they treat their kids. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a sense, um, more people are choosing have kids but have more dogs. So. <laughs> right, exactly. Less kids, more dogs. And I know humans are living longer, so it makes sense that dogs would be living longer, too, just in terms of even the nutrition changes and things that of how dogs are um, being fed and treated and things that they ever have before. So I want to switch gears for a second and talk about your entrepreneurial journey. Is this your first startup? This is. This is my first startup. I've, um, you know, been trained as a scientist and worked as a scientist for over uh, 25 years now and never had a, uh, an opportunity to start a business that centers around a product like this. It's been bumpy, and uh, especially doing it where, you know, right in the middle of when we gained some traction, the pandemic hit. <laughs> and, of course, that makes it very difficult, especially when you have to be in a laboratory to continue your work. And initially, the university had shut that down for the opportunity to be able to get into the laboratory. But we're starting to make strides again now that, um, that things are coming back to normal both from the laboratory standpoint, but as well as the business standpoint and understanding really much more about how business moves quickly and that, uh, you know, having a product already out there is different type of business than a product in development, but they still have certain types of uh, business strategies that are very similar. Can you talk more specifically about that and provide some examples? I think it would be great for our audience to hear some of those differences. Well, I think that the, the main focus is being able to learn how to talk to investors. You know, your great idea is not always the most important thing to an investor. It's really, is there an inflection point where your great idea gets turned into something that interests a greater number of people so that those earlier adopters that are interested in your idea and investing in it, is there an exit point for them to make money? which is an absolutely important thing, right? Um, we want to make money by selling products, but as sometimes investors are looking at it and saying, when is the next possibility for you to raise money to move your product to market? And that the early adopters are the ones that jump on board to be able to make money in those different milestone stages and understanding how those are clear and defining those for potential investors is absolute necessity. Even if you don't have a product, that's already out there being sold, that if you have milestones where people can invest and see that you have uh, reached those milestones and that brings the evaluation of your company even higher, they have a next stage to make money. And it drives for both sides. The product gets built, the company gets built, and the investor makes money. And you were mentioning that you've, um, you know, of course, acknowledging that this is your first startup, and boy, did you take on a big venture for it to be your first startup, so congratulations on that. That is pretty intense for a first startup, no doubt. 
And you mentioned that there were some bumpy roads. So outside of the pandemic, which completely understand what trying to work in the lab is um, almost just, you know, 100% contrary to anything the pandemic was allowing to happen. Um, what were some of the other challenges that you faced um, as a first-time entrepreneur in this arena? You know, I think in part it's always uh, getting others to see your vision, and, and that could be from the standpoint of writing a grant application and people look at it and say, you know, you're tra trying to bite off too much. And uh, as well as the idea of getting others that are like-minded to, to work with you. We, we've been lucky because we've ran into other people that look at the same approach that we're taking and saying, yeah, why hasn't anybody done this before? Um, it seems so obvious to move it forward. And, the, and those people are great to have on your side, but then you have to be able to convince those people that are actually going to help you move things, and those are the investors, whether those investors are uh, a, a grant from, from a uh, federal agency or whether they're actual individuals that want to give you money. It's a difficult prospect, but learning how to uh, show people not just your idea, not the features of your idea, but that your business is built to move that idea forward. That's probably the biggest thing that we've learned. Did you feel like that, I mean, so part of that is confidence in showing up, right? Because they have to believe in you because you believe in what you're doing, but then you have to convince them to believe in you. So you have to have that confidence in showing up. But what were some of the factors that, that made you um, differentiate yourself from some of the other ideas that they could have taken a chance on? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, to distinguish yourself and say that you're going to completely change the format of how drugs are produced in a particular arena, veterinarian, that it's not just confidence, but you also have to have the pieces there together showing that you, you can get there. So when they ask you questions, so what's your regulatory plan? You have a plan. What's your financing plan for, you know, your initial production of material you have to have that plan if those little pieces are you can't answer them and you just say well, we have a great idea and just tell them <laughs> that it doesn't work as well you know you may have the pet rock but if you don't have a way of making that pet rock go someplace people are less willing to to buy in but we've gotten a lot more people to buy in um hopefully more and more investors but they because they see that we have a plan for success as opposed to just a product what do you think some of the, um, like, what have you learned in terms of the difference between getting grant funding? Because a lot of entrepreneurs, they either self-fund or they have angels or uh, VCs, and grants um, are definitely play a part in funding, but not every business category that's going for funding can qualify for a grant. What would you say that some of the um, differences in approach, let's say, to getting a grant versus getting a, an investor from outside of a grant, what are some of the differences in that and how did you approach them? You know, they have their different rules, right? Um, uh, granting agencies, I would say, uh, the, navigating their rules is a lot more difficult and you really do have to get buy-in by uh, the different departments in the granting agencies. You have to talk to them. Um, just writing the grant and sending it out and hoping for the best really is, the, is a poor way of doing it unless you want to do the reiterations where you get your, your galleys back and they say, well, you've done this wrong, that wrong, that wrong. 
we learn the hard way. Of course, we've all learned the hard way of being scientists like that. But engaging and understanding what they want and what they'll allow, that's a very important thing. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time writing a grant. We totally understand that, you know, NIH is not a way to go get a, uh, a veterinarian product um, funded. They, they fund human drugs, right? And unless you're going to come about and make a human drug out of your platform, then you're really not meant to be there. National Science Foundation will fund these things, but they don't fund drug development. They'll fund a prototype that you might move forward, but getting that, that next stage, that valley of death, going from your concept to the clinic, they don't really have a funding mechanism for that. So, yeah, learning both how to talk to granting agencies as well as talking to investors, they're two different languages, and you just have to know some of the rules. <laughs> and how many different conversations, um, and if you can't share this, that's okay, but I'm just curious, how many different conversations with um, investors have you had to have before you were able to get your first um, investor? So our investors have been mostly through accelerators at this point. We've done through state um, accelerators uh, and, um, and, and some granting money that had um, sort of swung off of those. And now the conversations they're having with real true investors, in other words, people that are interested but not in the, in the system, in other words, the, the, the accelerators or the angels, we're initiating those conversations now. We haven't had a number that we can give you. But we're, we're learning day by day how that goes better each time. <laughs> well, the, the reason I ask is because of my personal experience of raising VC capital for a startup that I was the CEO for. I found that I'd have one conversation and they would say, well, this, all, this sounds great, but if you could just tweak this or change this or do this. And so then we would take that and apply that information and then make those suggested changes and then have a conversation with the second investor. And the second investor would say, I don't really like this or that. And, and it would be referencing the things that we had changed. So maybe if you could do this, and then that would be taking us back to where we were before. And it just felt incredibly frustrating, almost like a shell game, because you couldn't ever tell which person wanted what. I was just curious if you were having that experience. Well, it seemed that they tend to move the object around in front of your face each time you uh, talk to a different investor. Yeah, we've had that happen. It, unfortunately, you know, we're learning, too, that there's not a single pitch that you can just devise that will bring in every investor. Investors are like people. They're individuals, right? And so there are certain things that you're going to speak to that are going to prick their ears and they ask for more. And you just have to be in, a, in front of enough of them it's a, it's a numbers game, not so much a shell game. Is that you will talk to enough people and some of them are going to hear what you want. Yes, some are more metric driven, some are more heartstring driven. Um, there's a necessity in a pitch to make sure you mix all of those together. But again, like I said, there's no perfect pitch. You just want to get to the next stage where they ask for more. Well, we only have a few minutes left. So one thing people are asking is, who are the three other founders? Because we really haven't heard them. So who are, who are they? Yeah, so the three other founders, like I said, myself an immunologist, and then another one that is a actually has experience in the cancer um, immunotherapy development um, uh, science, and that's uh, Carl Ruby. 
And then we have the two veterinarians. One is the uh, department chair at Oregon State, head of uh, Carlson College um, Animal Clinic, Dr. Sebra, who, like I said, who wrote the book on camelids. So he's a world-renowned expert in the animal that we utilize to generate our technology. And then um, Shay Braca, who is at uh, Texas A&M. He's one of their lead oncologists there. He's an absolute expert in, um, in uh, canine cancer and specific cancers that, that uh, he treats. Um, so that's a, the, the four founders. We're all aligned at you know, moving our efforts toward being one of the first ones to develop an immune checkpoint therapy for uh, cancer in the canine clinic. And we have follow-on products that are going to be um, of the same vein, but specifically designed for treatment of dogs. And then the next question is you have, you don't currently have a website yet. So how would people try to reach you or your company? Well, we can be contacted um, uh, via email at, uh, it's biotesseragmail.com. And we all look at that, that uh, email and we use it to pass the information back and forth for our other individuals that are involved in our company. But they can contact us there by email. We're hoping to get a, a website up before the end of the year. And especially if we start uh, initiating clinical trials because we'll need to talk to people and see um, who's going to want to utilize our drug in their clinical trials. Dogs can't bark? Okay. Um, the question we have <laughs> is uh, where do you see yourself in three years? I'm sorry? Where do you see this company in three years? And you have about 30 seconds to answer. In the next three years, we do hope that we're on at least conditional licensure of our first drug in, in the clinic so that it can be treating dogs um, throughout the United States. Well, that was a very quick answer. You have about another 15 seconds. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just say, go get it in the next three years. How about that? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's a very, very promising, uh, this immunology, applying both to animals and actually to humans. And it, you know, it's the biggest thing that I've seen in my lifetime. So I'm hoping it works very well. Anyway, listen to the Ask Brian Radio Show, KHS 1220, 98.1 FM. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Tracy. And welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.